You're listening to the Speaking Tongues podcast. I'm your host, El Sharice. Each week, I sit down to a conversation with multilinguals where we discuss and celebrate language, life, and culture through our own perspectives. Episode 30, Speaking Papiamento. Hello, language lovers. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Speaking Tongues, the podcast in conversation with multilinguals. Today's conversation, we are heading back to one of my favorite regions in the world to talk about Papiamentu with Keisha Wheel, a PhD candidate and linguistic anthropologist. In this recording, Keisha was talking to me from Aruba, where Papiamentu is widely spoken, and she's been conducting her research in the language. In this episode, Keisha tells us why Papiamentu is considered a Creole language, and we learn why it is significant that Papiamentu is one of the official languages of the Caribbean. We talk about the languages that have influenced Papiamentu, the stigmas that come with a language being classified as a Creole, and she tells us the surprising way in which kids in Aruba and Curaçao relate to the English language. And keep listening to find out which language kids in Aruba aren't too interested in because it's considered the language of their parents. In talking about Creole languages, we discussed how a number of languages around the world that could technically be classified as Creoles, but aren't, and languages that are easily classified as Creole that tend to be spoken by black and brown people. I think it's important that we continue to pay attention to how such classifications along racial lines can be detrimental to the populations for whom these languages are a culmination of their histories and expressions of their cultures and identities. We have to continue to regard the value of everyone's language equally, and my hope is that with this podcast, we're doing the work of adding value to Creole languages. With that said, Big thank you to Keisha for talking with us about her studies and research. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can find links to the topics we discuss in the show notes. And please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so that other language lovers like yourselves can find the show. Okay, let's chat. Hi, Keisha. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. I'm so happy you were able to make the time today to talk with me for the show. And I, I like to start each episode with the same question, a variation of the same question. And that is, what is your first language and which languages have you learned to speak? Okay, so um, my first languages, I'm gonna say it was two, um, which I suspect a lot of people actually have more than one first language, but we don't automatically call it that especially because especially those of us who speak marginalized languages mm -hmm. so my first margin well my first marginalized my first language um languages that i that i i grew up speaking was english and papiamento it was both at the same time so what happened was in the u.s we would obviously be speaking english um and then my parents they would speak a combination of papiamento and english to my sister and i Mm -hmm. And then when we would come down to the Caribbean, we would mostly speak Papiamento um, with a little bit of English, depending on, you know, who I was around. And that's how I grew up. I just kind of grew up speaking both. I can't think of like which language I learned first, you know. So it's, right. for me, it was at the same time, both languages. I was growing up at the same time with both. Yeah. And what languages, I'm sorry, what was your experience like with learning languages in school? 
Oh, uh, that's actually very interesting. So for me, um, I learned more outside of school than in school. So because my sister and I, we knew Papiamentu, which Papiamentu, um, traditionally we say that it's a mix of five European languages, um, some Arawak languages, as well as some African languages. So we have uh, for the European languages, obviously Spanish, Portuguese, you have Dutch, French, and English. Um, some African languages like um, Twi and Kimbundu. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Arawakan languages, I'm not entirely sure which Arawakan languages, um, but they're all mixtured together to make Papimento. And it sounds a lot like Spanish and Portuguese had a baby. Yeah. And that's what like Papimento <laughs> is, where you really hear it spoken. So because of that, I remember in seventh or eighth grade, um, they were like, oh, you guys can speak something that's similar to Spanish. So we're going to put you in the Spanish class because it was only certain people who were allowed to take the Spanish class, I guess, kids who kind of knew Spanish already. Mm -hmm. um, so we were put in the Spanish class and we were being taught by an Italian-American woman. Wow. And, you know, I, I didn't know. I mean, I knew of Spanish. I, I heard it spoken. I, I couldn't speak it fluently at the time. But, you know, I've read it and things like that. And I remember when she's writing, she was writing words on the board. And I'm like, there's no accents. And I know that there are accents that is in the written language of Spanish. So I remember asking her, I was like, hey, um, aren't there supposed to be accents somewhere? And she's like, well, I always get Italian and Spanish confused. So I'm just not going to write the accents. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and that was sort of like my first introduction to language and the way people perceive language right. um, in terms of in a structured setting because unstructured, I mean, for years, because Papimento is a marginalized language, you know, it's a Creole language in the Caribbean, like every other Creole language in the Caribbean, it doesn't get its just due, you know? So growing up hearing it, I remember asking people how to write it and they're like, oh, it's slang, it's a thing that we speak. You can write it however you want. You know, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's a way that you're supposed to write it. But, you know, those were the kind of things that were my introductions to language in a structured and unstructured setting. Right. You know, so later on when um, I learned Portuguese or I learned bits of Portuguese, I'm not a fluent speaker. It was through my capoeira class, you know, because I had a Brazilian uh, mestre, a Brazilian teacher. And, you know, he spoke a lot of Portuguese. And because of my papimento background, I was able to pick up a lot more Portuguese as opposed to when I was in class learning Spanish, for example. You know, I was taking Spanish from seventh grade all the way up to college. I have a minor in Spanish and wow. I am not fluent, fluent in Spanish. But I realized that when I go to different Spanish speaking countries, the fluency comes out a bit more. So I realized this idea of like teaching languages, especially in an American educational system, is a very interesting concept because we're not actually learning the language in a way um after saying the least that's my just professional and personal opinion I, we're not learning it in a way that we can we can communicate let's put yeah, it like that i completely agree with you and i think you're the first guest that i've had on the show who has had that kind of experience in the in the states um where it was just ineffective and yeah. i i'm I'm really curious about that because when I talk to other people in other countries who've learned Spanish or French or, you know, any, any other language, really, 
they're they're practically fluent and they've been studying for like five or seven years and it's like i could have taken spanish my whole life i took spanish for three years in new york city in junior high school and i didn't learn a single thing like i can name every single barn animal in spanish but like i can't make a sentence i can't express myself you know and And that's 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 many of us, you know? I really wonder why that is. And, um, you know, some people say it's what you make of the education and how you're able to supplement the education uh, beyond the classroom. But that seems to only, that seems to be a specifically US problem. And yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I, I completely agree with you because I think a lot of, I'm not going to say it's a specifically U.S. problem, but I think it's that in terms of the way that we are being taught in the U.S. is a specific U.S. problem because I have a different experience with trying to learn Dutch down here. And I think that has to do a lot with the way that Dutch as like the former colony or still colony, depending on who you speak to, um, the way that's being taught here versus like Whereas in the U.S., how we see these languages, right? I mean, the U.S., we're very U.S.-centric. So we're just like, English is a globalizing language. We know that wherever we go, a lot, for the most part, a lot more people are going to probably be able to communicate with us more so than we would be able to communicate with them in their own language. Yeah. And I think that for the most part, especially in primary and secondary school, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, for the most part, many of us are taught Spanish, like how we would be taught math, for example, you know, rote memorization. Like you said, you can name all the barn animals, but will that help you in a conversation about how to get to the train station? You know, that's a different story. And I think that's what it is. I mean, I took AP Spanish in high school, you know, so you would assume that I would know a little bit more. But from what I can remember from AP Spanish was we had like a book filled with terms and we every week we were learning like 100 new terms. You know, which I was like, that's cool. But at the end of the day, like, is it actually helping me to have a conversation with somebody in Spanish? Yeah. You know, and like I said, for me, it was mostly my Spanish really blossomed, A, when um, I was living with someone who's Puerto Rican, who, you know, from Puerto Rico, the island. So, you know, we would speak Spanish here and there. Um when we would speak with her family, her family spoke mainly Spanish, you know, and then when I would go to Spanish speaking countries, you know, that was when my Spanish blossomed because other than that, you know, and I'm still not completely fluent, but now because of those experiences, when I go to Spanish speaking countries, I can kind of get by. The difference with here in Aruba and Curacao, which I assume is pretty much probably similar, you know, in countries like Haiti, um, where they have, you know, French versus Creole and other parts of the world where Creole languages are in sort of this constant fight with the old colonial language. Right. Um, That's the thing here. The students get taught completely in Dutch for the most part, most schools, but their language sounds like Spanish and Portuguese, you know, so for the most part, when they're getting taught in Dutch and when they're introduced to Dutch at, you know, first grade, second grade level, they're introduced to Dutch as if they're Dutch speakers because we're still part of the kingdom of the Netherlands. Right. So 
even myself when I was taking classes, because I'm like, oh, I'm doing this research. I have to learn how to at least read Dutch. Even when I was taking classes, um, I was like, okay, um, I'm looking at all the worksheets that they're giving us and everything, and everything is in complete Dutch. There's no like translation. There's no nothing. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I ask the teacher, I'm usually asking them in English and not in Papiamento, which you know brings up another thing. Right. And I remember the teacher, you know, she was like, oh, you're doing so well. Like, you're doing really great compared to these other local kids. These, these local kids, like, they have a hard time learning Dutch. And I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, because when I ask you what does this word mean or why do we use this, you explain it back to me in English. Mm-hmm. When these kids are asking questions, they're, first of all, not allowed to ask in their native language for the most part you know, in Papiamento, and you don't translate it back to them in Papiamento. So you're acting as if they kind of already know Dutch or they have a base of Dutch, which most of them don't. Right. So just to um, make a long story short, because I feel like <laughs> I'm rambling at this point, but um, I think the difference between here and in the United States, here in Aruba and Curacao, as well, I, I would assume in Haiti and other Creole-speaking nations, um, the United States, we look at languages as if it's another subject to learn, as opposed to trying to learn a language in a way that seems more natural. Right. You know, we, we, we learn languages like we learn math, you know, or social studies. It's facts that we have to memorize. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, and like I said, in other places, Caribbean islands and other islands and other places that speak Creole languages, they're learning they have to learn the language of the former colony as if they already know it. So they're being introduced to it as if they're a native speaker. So, you know, neither way is right, but these are the ways that people are sort of forced into these language situations. So I want to know, you grew up in New York City. Right. Um, So did I. Awesome. (laughs) Still live here. Um, but one thing that I'm really curious about is um, how you've seen Papiamento reflected in New York City, in the Caribbean community. Mm. Because here, you know, we have we have a big Car- Caribbean community, and I think, um, as someone of Bahamian descent, I don't see a lot of Bahamians. Right? I see a lot of Jamaican, Haitian. Mm-hmm. Um, Trinidadians, Trinidadian, Guyanese, Guyanese, yeah, a lot. But I don't always see ample representation here. I know people are here because we're all here. Everybody's here, right? Right. But (laughs) (laughs) um, I don't really, I don't see a lot of representation from Aruba and Curacao in New York City. But since that's a part of of your heritage. Where do you see the language of Papiamento and the culture of Aruba Curacao here in New York City, or where have you seen it? Um, that's really an interesting and a great question. I mean, specifically for Aruba and Curacao, it was in the small community that my parents were a part of, mm-hmm. in terms of they sort of came together and created this community amongst themselves. Um, because we do have a small diaspora. And I think that has a lot to do with um, the way immigration from the Caribbean works um, and the needs for immigrating to 
places like New York City, for example. So like you said, you know, um, in terms of Caribbean representation, we see a lot of specific English Caribbean islands like Jamaica and Trinidad. We see Haiti um, for the Francophone islands. And then we see a lot of Puerto Ricans and now Dominicans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the Spanish speaking islands, but Dutch speaking, well, we say Dutch speaking, but we're really not really Dutch speaking. Um, you don't see a lot of us. So, you know, we, you do have people from Aruba and Curacao. You have a lot from St. Martin, for example, which is also part of the Dutch Caribbean. Uh, you have from Suriname as well. Um, but we're not overly represented like the Bahamas or the U.S. Virgin Islands. You guys are also as well, not overly represented. Um, and I think because of that, you know, I remember my parents and their friends and people that they've met along the way, they sort of created um, this community among themselves so they could have that diaspora. That doesn't mean to say that they know every single Aruban or every single yeah. uh, Curacao in New York City, um, even though our islands are small, so I'm pretty sure somebody knows someone, you know. <laughs> um, but... For the most part, for me, it was we we created our own little community in a sense of, um, you know, we didn't all live around each other. But for example, like my parents, uh, they were part, I don't remember if they were part of creating it or if they just joined it. They had an organization that was called the Vets. And the Vets were specifically for Dutch Caribbean, mostly people from Aruba, some people from Curacao, some people from St. Martin. And it started off as like some friends who got together to play softball. You know, some guys from the islands who played softball and they created an, they ended up creating an organization um, that was specifically about them, you know, that focused on their islands. Yeah. And I think that was really helpful in maintaining our, our culture in a sense, because for the most part, um, I, I like to say about Aruba and Curacao that we're very adaptive um, because we have so many influences, right? So we have the Trinidadian influence when it comes to carnival. You know, we listen to soca music, but because we're also close to the Venezuelan and the Colombian border, uh, we also listen to a lot of, you know, Spanish music and, and a lot of reggaeton and merengue. Like I grew up with salsa and merengue in my home. Wow. You know, right, right next to soca music for carnival time. Yeah. You know, and as well as obviously local music from here, tumba, tambu, you know, ritmo combinado, that type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But I grew up with all these influences because that's how it is on the island. So yeah. I think once a, a lot of these people who are immigrants at this point, they're not coming to work per se in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, obviously you know, they do come to, they have a job, but it's not a financial need for them to come to the U.S. for the most part. So I think um, for many of us, it depended on which neighborhoods we were in to say to what uh, cultures we kind of gravitated to more. So we had our individual Aruban Curacaoan culture, but then like, let's say if we lived in a um, English Caribbean neighborhood, like for example, I grew up in St. Albans and Queens, you know, mm. we had a lot more Trinidadians, a lot more Jamaicans, a lot more English Caribbean and especially Haitian American kids too. So I grew up more into like, oh, I'm going to listen to a lot more soca music, you know, and right. dance hall and all of that. And I, I identify more with, with Trinidadians where I have, you know, because we're all cousins, right? We all call each other cousins, even though we're not uh, <laughs> blood related. Yeah. But I had cousins who grew up in like Corona, for example, where there's a huge 
Colombian Dominican presence. Mm-hmm. So for them, even though their parents are from Curacao, they identify more with the Dominican Colombian experience, you know, right. where I identify more with the Trinidadian experience because I grew up mostly around like Trinidadians, other English Caribbean Island people, you know, and this is apart from our identity as Aruban Curacaoans, mm-hmm. you know, so we, we, we swim within these things that I mean, now that I grew up and I was older and I was, uh, like I said, I had um, one of my roommates, uh, a friend of mine, is Puerto Rican, so we bonded a lot over certain things. Because I'm like, oh yeah, you use that song, I use that song. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> cool. You know, we so, you know we bond over a lot more things. So that that kind of and I grew up listening to the same music that she grew up listening to on the island. So I I was able to partake in that cultural experience too. Yes. You know, and as far as the language itself goes, Papiamento, that's um. It's interesting. It's a very different experience, I think, um, for a lot of us who grew up in the city, um, Mm -hmm. considering the fact that, you know, for the most part, our parents, when they come from Aruba and Curacao, they come speaking four languages. Most people on the islands here, they they have varying degrees of fluency in English and Dutch and Spanish and in Papiamento. So... (laughs) When they come to the U.S., you know, they're speaking a lot more English because that's what's being spoken. Or if they're in a Spanish-speaking community, they're speaking Spanish, you know. So even though the papimento is there, um, it's not spoken to as much. Right. You know, so like I have, for example, like I said, my cousins, my quote-unquote cousins, who they'll understand papimento, but they don't speak it because they were never really required. Like my sister and I, when we were growing up, you know, our parents would speak Papiamento to us, but we would just answer back in English. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why we actually became really fluent in Papiamento, I have to say, is because our parents, I like to say ship, because that's what they used to do. They used to ship us down to the Caribbean. Uh, <laughs> right after, you know, the day after school ended, we were gone to Ruben Curacao <laughs> until the day before school began. You know, I have no idea what summers in the 90s were like in New York City. I have none whatsoever, <laughs> you know? But you missed it was out. <laughs> I listen. I remember one time I told my parents, I was like, "How come you never sent us to camp? Look at all these kids in the movies who went to camp." But they're like, "We send you to Aruba and Curacao." I was like, "Oh, you're right." Like, yeah, exactly. Caribbean island camp. You know, <laughs> tough choice. <laughs> tough choice. But yeah, you know. But I think that was kind of like more of our saving grace was that our cousins when we came down especially in curacao at the time when we were younger they didn't really speak english at the time so me and my sister would be forced to speak more puppy and do more than anything you know mm-hmm. because we had some people who spoke english to us and you know we we're just continually speaking english but there were people in our lives who spoke mostly puppy and when we were kids so it was like okay well we have to communicate with our cousins you know right. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until they grew up that now they speak English and they speak all these other languages. But, you know, as a kid, because we were around them, you know, and I credit that to them and I credit that to, you know, my aunts and my parents who were very like, they were firm on that. Like, especially when we were in the islands, you know, if they're speaking Papiamento to us, they were forcing us to speak Papiamento back to them because they're right. like, this is your language too. You have to learn it. In the U.S., in our community, 
you know, the language was there. It was alive through our parents for the most part, you know, through the music that they played, even though they played a variety of like the soca music, the salsa merengue, they were playing their local music. So, you know, we understood the language. We always, no matter if you couldn't speak it or not, we all to this day understand the language. Mm -hmm. It's just depending on, you know, how your outer family, your cousins and all of that, it depends on who they were, whether you actually ended up speaking the language or not. Right. You know? Yeah. So, but it was there. I mean, there's, there's been very, very few times, like, you know, we were talking about earlier, this idea of diaspora in New York City. And I have to say, especially as an adult, there's been very few times where I would like be walking, you know, in the city or somewhere. And I would hear somebody speaking Papimento and immediately I'll turn around. And I think because we have such a small diaspora, you know, I don't know if like Trinis and Jamaicans do this, but I immediately accost them like, you're from Aruba? You're from Jerusalem? Where are you from? So am I, you know? So I'm like, they're there, but you know, it's very dispersed. So and it's, for me, when I find them, I'm out there like a hawk, like you're one of us, you know? So, <laughs> got it. You got yeah. it. Yeah, it's important. Papiamento is a Creole language. Yes. Spoken in Aruba and Curacao. And I, um, you know, it is one of the five official languages of the Caribbean region. Can you tell me and can you tell us uh, people listening what a Creole language is and why Papiamento is classified as a Creole language? Okay, so Creole language is a language um, that is mostly spoken. It, it would be a language that was sort of created in an area where there was contact between different languages. So for the longest time, there has been this theory that Creoles developed from pigeons. And pigeons were sort of these languages that people kind of used to communicate with each other who spoke different languages, right? So for example, um, a lot of our Creole languages come and pidgin languages come through colonization you know you have like french and english and portuguese and spanish colonists coming in and they're interacting with people on the continent of africa they're interacting with all these different people and you know they're they're bridging these languages together um and there's been research now that suggests that creoles actually didn't evolve from pigeons that they were sort of separate things okay. uh, because with pigeons Pigeons are usually not languages that are considered, um, let's say, official. Like a, a lot of Creole languages, they would be considered more official. Pigeons are sort of like these languages that a lot of people say are just there for communication. Mm -hmm. You know, like you know, different types of people working in a certain area, they need to find a way to communicate. Whereas Creole languages, on the other hand, um, is not just a language that is used for communication but it's a I mean not just language used for communication between two people who have different languages mm -hmm. but it's also part of an identity you know part of when we think of like you know what's the first thing that a lot of people think of when they think of Jamaica besides dreadlocks and weed is oh Amon you know yeah, they right very very terrible uh <laughs> accents <Patois>. right <laughs> but that's the first thing that they think of right is they're actually thinking of jamaican patois mm -hmm. um so it's it's a very much part of that identity of these places and you know creoles are not just um in the caribbean they're in all other parts of the world 
but you have a lot of sociolinguists like Michelle de Graff, like Salikov Mukweni, um, who really have been doing incredible work with Creole languages. Um, Michelle de Graff, for example, being um, of, he's Haitian and he speaks Haitian Creole, so he grew up speaking a Creole language. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he said it's, it's, it's very much a racialized nature, Creole languages, right? Because if we really think about it, when we think of languages like Brazilian Portuguese or um, the French that's spoken in Quebec or even Afrikaans that's spoken in South Africa mm -hmm. or, I don't know, like even um, the Spanish that's spoken in Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic or Cuba, for example, mm -hmm nobody thinks of these languages as Creoles. Right. Even though they have the same genesis as a Papiamento, as Bahamian English, as Jamaican Patois, as Haitian Creole. So why don't we think of those particular languages as Creoles? Yeah. And a lot of their theories are stating it's because, you know, who are speaking these Creole languages? You mm. know, when we think of Brazil, mm. Brazilian Portuguese, for example, there was a lot of white elite in Brazil. So right. they were able to uh, they were able to do something with Brazilian Portuguese that now, for example, when you're looking in a list of the languages that you can choose from, for the most part, they will explicitly list Brazilian Portuguese or Portugal Portuguese. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. and for the most part, they don't even put Portugal Portuguese. They will put Brazilian Portuguese, but nobody sees Portuguese or uh, the French that's spoken in Quebec as a Creole language, mm -hmm. and Michel de Graff, I mean, he even talks about this idea of what does it really mean to be a Creole language anyway, because if we really think about it, we can even look to European languages as Creoles, you know, French, English, um, Spanish, you know, French and Spanish coming from Latin. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, if I look at the way that certain linguists have came and said, oh, this is what classifies a Creole language are these particular rules. He's like, I can do that too with French and Latin and show you that French is more of a Creole than Haitian Creole is, you know? Right. So it's just, yeah. And it's a, it's a really interesting, um, it's a really interesting discussion that, you know, I'm hoping to expand upon with my own research, this idea of like, why do we particularly call these particular languages Creoles, right? And where do we usually see Creoles? You know, like Afrikaans, for example, spoken by, white people of Dutch descent in South Africa, but nobody sits there and says, oh yeah, that's a Creole language. Even right. though technically it probably, it is a Creole language, right? Yeah. Because it's not, Afrikaans is not Dutch. It's a variant of Dutch. Mm -hmm. In the same way that Papiamento has things of Spanish and Portuguese and all these other languages in it. I never even considered that, but that makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, we're, and we're not used to thinking about it that way. You know, we think of Creole languages mainly as just like Haitian Creole, you know, Papiamento and Jamaican Patois and Trinidadian Creole English and all these things. Mm -hmm. And even so, I think because there's such a stigma against these languages that we're even afraid to call them Creole languages at times because there's so many people who are like, oh, well, they're not even real languages. They're just that thing that we speak, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, well, the reality is like, well, no, that they are languages because when I communicate with you in that language, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, what is a language? Yeah. You know? I agree with you. And in that, I'm curious about where Papiamento is seen 
in Aruba and Curacao um, because it is an official language. Um, and I wonder, you know, it's spoken at home, it's spoken among family and friends. Where are you seeing it outside of the home? And, and furthermore, uh, and furthermore, being that Dutch is, 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 is an official language as well there, um, is there like you see Dutch in certain, certain, uh, certain places and see Papiamento in other places? Is there like you see far more Dutch and you maybe see a little Papiamento or like what is, what is it like? Where are you seeing it? How are people interacting with it outside of their, their circle, their close circle? Right. Um, and that's the funny thing. So Papimentu and Haitian Creole are the only two official languages in the Caribbean. Okay. The only two. Um, Papimentu became official in Aruba in 2003 and in Curacao and Bonaire in 2007. Um, I don't remember when Haitian Creole, I want to say it was in the 2000s as well. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of in Papimentu specifically, the interesting thing is that Dutch doesn't really have a presence on the island with the exception of an education and certain government functions, okay. um, as well as people who are Dutch descent, you know, that they grew up on the island, that their family's speaking Dutch, or if you're from Suriname, your family's from Suriname, you're probably speaking Dutch as well. Um, certain tourist places, you know, so it has sort of that more like if we're dealing with the tourists from the Netherlands or if we're dealing, you know, in education. But aside from that, Papiamentu is the language that's spoken the most with English, which is oh, an okay. actually interesting thing because of the fact we have such a globalizing nature. And I'm pretty sure this is not something that's unique to Aruba and Curacao. But because many kids here, you know, they have access to a lot of American television now. They have access to YouTube. Uh, social media has created a huge impact where they have friends all over the world. Mm -hmm. A lot of the kids here are speaking a lot more English, you know. So when you go on the streets, for example, and you hear people speak, especially the kids, you're going to hear them speaking Papiamentu, but then they'll, they'll go into English. Right. for a little bit because okay. that's like the it language you know um and with like older residents it's just mostly papimento dutch the only time you really really hear dutch is within school because it's the official language of school mm -hmm. for the most part most schools um like i said in certain governmental functions so um like a court system is still in dutch but you can use papimento right um and that's becoming more of an increasing thing because, you know, the defendant has to know what's happening to them, obviously, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and, but, but even I was going to say, I'm sorry to cut you off, but even mm -hmm. let's say in parliament, for example, in parliament, they're speaking Papimento, they're not speaking Dutch. The only time they're really speaking Dutch is when they have to speak with parliament in the Netherlands. Mm, okay. So, yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. That's a huge deal for somebody who like, I'm always putting myself in this situation because I want to travel. So I travel through my questions, <laughs> but <laughs> I come to Aruba or Curacao and I want to not just hear it. Cause I'm sure I would hear it from people 
walking on the street and people that I interact with, or I don't think they would speak to me in Papiamentu, but I would hear them speaking with one another. But right. if I want to, let's say, huh, like what would, what kind of exposure does like the average visitor have to this language outside of hearing other people converse in it? Um, or do they, do they have, do they have any kind of exposure to it at all? That's actually a very interesting question because that's something that I've been grappling with um, a lot, especially since I've been here in Aruba, because we have um, an uptick of immigration, particularly from Venezuela because of the issues that have been going on in Venezuela. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of Latinos, for example, who are working, Latinx people who are working in a lot of tourism spaces. So you'll hear a lot more Spanish than Papimento actually more so now than before. You'll hear Papimento, yes, but you're going to hear a lot of Spanish um, because they're the ones who are working in the hotel industry, you know, in the tourism industry. Yeah. Um, but we do have radio stations in Aruba and Curacao, DJs who speak Papimento, obviously. Awesome. Um, we do have a television station, okay. um, one in Aruba, one in Curacao, that gives the news in Papimento, for the most part, programs in Papimento, depending on the time of the day, because sometimes they'll switch over to like CNN and Espanol. Okay. Um, <laughs> but they have original programming in Papimento. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, if you go to certain events, um, which is pretty interesting, too, because it depends on who the event is marketed to, right? So mm -hmm. if it's like a concert, for example, where we've invited international artists to come, mm -hmm. that's going to be in English. Or if it's like, unless it's like a reggaeton festival or something, then that's going to be in Spanish, you know. Mm. Um, but if it's sort of a cultural event um, that's not particularly aimed at tourists. Let's put it like that, because if it is aimed at tourists, it's going to be in English for the yeah. most part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if it's a cultural event, let's say like we have uh, like Dia de Bandera, which is, you know, we don't have an Independence Day. So we have the day of the flag and our national anthem, mm -hmm. you know. So if it's something like that and there's different events going on on the island that day, you know, you're going to hear Papiamento. You know, because that's something specifically for the locals. So I think right. for the most part, is anything that is actually geared towards locals, that's where you're going to hear the language. Okay. So that really, that really means, you know, for tourists stepping out of their comfort zone and going to places um, or going to events that are not marketed to tourists, you know, mm -hmm. which I think in Caribbean islands in general, not just in Aruba and Curacao, it's kind of hard because, you know, as a tourist industry on these islands, they want the tourists to have the most comfortable experience. So they cater to the tourists like, OK, you know, we're going to have events and stuff that are catered to you. You don't have to go to the locals, you know, where you do have tourists now who are like, no, I want that local experience. Right. So totally me. Like, I don't need yeah. a 7 p.m. limbo competition in the hotel. <laughs> like, I'm I want to be You're like, I'm not trying. Limbo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I think, you know, I think within tourism, I'm, and this is just my personal opinion, I'm not a tourism expert, but seeing people who, who are going to places now, I think a lot of people want that more authentic experience, you know, mm -hmm. I think they're kind of 
played out with like the limbo context and the faux calypso music right. or the faux salsa music <laughs> that's played you know and it's like yeah. this generic thing of what you think the caribbean is i think people are more interested in like okay where are the locals eating where are the locals hanging out where are the locals you know yes. going i want to ask you uh, what sort of efforts have you noticed to preserve and push forward Papimentu in Aruba and Curacao? Um, I know you spoke about the instruction being in Dutch for kids there. And, you know, do they have any opportunity for children to receive instruction in Papimentu? I mean, whether it's curriculum based or extracurricular. Um, and are kids discouraged from speaking Papiamentu in school? Um, yeah, so that's a great question. I'm glad you asked that because actually when we were talking about school, I was like, oh, I forgot to talk about it. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad you brought it up again. Um, so thankfully, because of efforts of local linguists and scholars on the island, um, the islands themselves, because mm -hmm. I think people tend to forget that there are people, scholars on the islands, who are doing the work, you know, yes. it's not just Americans coming in and documenting these languages. Um, but Papiamento does have a place in education and we're one of the few Caribbean islands that has that. Um, so for example, in Curacao, students in elementary school are taught in Papiamento for the most part. Okay. Um, and then they get Papiamento classes alongside Dutch and then increasingly as they get to secondary school, they're, they're learning, they're kind of like being force-fed Dutch a little bit more because secondary school is mostly in Dutch. Mm -hmm. um, in Aruba, it's all the schools are technically in Dutch, but what has been happening for years, for decades, in both Aruba and Curacao is that teachers actually teach between two to three and in, in in two to three languages okay so what happens is officially yes even at like the high school level they're supposed to be taught in dutch right mm -hmm. but many kids for example they might understand dutch but they won't be able to comprehend what they're being taught so i can understand that the words you're saying but i don't understand actually the context behind the words that you're saying right so what a lot of teachers do um, for example, is that for the most part, then they'll switch into papimento. You know what I mean? To say, okay, you know, but the comprende, do you understand? Um, and if the kid doesn't, then what they do, because uh, remember, a lot of these teachers also, a lot of their teaching materials are completely in Dutch, wow. you know, like chemistry and biology, for example. We have the words in papimento, but they get the educational materials from the Netherlands. So they might not even know the words in Papi, in Papimento, as well as the kids obviously won't know specific like chemistry terms in Papimento, for example. Uh -huh. So what the teachers do is that they figure out, I mean, these teachers here, I have to say, they're amazing. They're amazing because like in the US, you know, we see very few teachers that do this. What they do is that because for the most part at times the kids don't understand, they'll switch into Papimento to try and explain something. And then if they can't get the word, um, they'll switch into English as well. So they'll switch into a, a mix between English and Papimento to explain. Right. And then once the kid understands it, then they'll switch back into Dutch because the kids are taking like 
their final exams in Dutch because those come from the Netherlands. So they still have to teach it in Dutch, right? So they're basically doing the work two, three times over because yeah. they're, they have to explain it first and these two languages that they know the kids are going to understand. And then from those two languages, they have to explain it back into this one language that they know, but they might not critically understand it. And that's how many of the teachers teach on, this, on these islands, you know. That's a lot um, of gymnastics. It's a lot of gymnastics. I mean, a lot of gymnastics. And you have teachers who, you know, they, they, for them, they're just like, if we don't do that, like our kids don't learn, you know, and we don't want that at the end of the day for our kids. Yeah. And it's a very different experience than, for example, when my parents were going to school. That because was my of next the fact, question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was going to go into that because of the fact that now we have a lot more teachers who are from the island. Whereas when my parents were going to school, um, you know, Catholicism was a huge thing in Aruba and Curacao. So you had a lot of nuns and brothers who came from the Netherlands to teach or from Suriname because the educational system was a lot more Dutch centered, um, which they didn't speak Papimento. They didn't bother to learn Papimento at all. And then on top of that, if for example, my parents, my parents went to school in the fifties and the sixties, mm -hmm. if they were even caught, speaking Dutch in the playground of the school like not even like forget class if they're just amongst their friends playing on the playground if they got taught if they got caught speaking Dutch they would get in trouble and I've heard stories from the most severe like they would have to stay after school they would have to write on the board a hundred times I don't speak that language to some kids even to some people they're not kids anymore they're adults mm -hmm. some people even saying that they were beat for speaking Papimento wow. you know and it's not like, not just even in the classroom, just on the playground, you know. So our parents, yes, they still speak Papiamento for the most part. They really do. And even kids my generation, it started like they, their ideas are a lot more Dutch-centered in terms of certain things. Like, for example, when they count, which I find so interesting to me. Like when my <laughs> parents' generation and my generation, for example, I mean, when they count, they count in Dutch because it's they don't count in Papimento because they learned math in Dutch. So for them, they're like, ein, twee, drie, vier, you know, vier mal vijf, instead of un, dos, tres, quater, you know? Yeah. Um, but the younger kids now, because there was such a push to be like, we need our native language somewhere in education, mm -hmm. that's shifting. So they have Papimento in school, and Papimento is also an official language that they do learn in school right. now. Whereas before they don't have it. So it's like, just like how you get Spanish, uh, Dutch, English, you're also going to get Papimento as a language class. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, a, it's a very interesting dynamic, which I mean, honestly, that could be a whole other podcast alone. Because I mean, yeah. I, I like, I already think of my dissertation and I'm just like, I really hope I can keep it under like 300 pages. <laughs> just not even the analysis of what I'm doing, just the explanation of how it works, their educational system works with language, can alone be its own, like, book, you know? Right, right. So it's, it's a very, I mean, because it's something that's not, that's not what we think of when we think of in the, you know, in the U.S. It's so yeah. different. It's I, so different. Yeah, and I, I, I wanted to ask you about that because I, I find myself very curious of, 
societies where there are these different identities or different sectors where you're expected to speak certain languages or understand in certain languages. And I think for adults, adults have probably learned to navigate it and it's, you know, they probably don't even think about it. It's not even a thought, but for young children, I think it must be so confusing to speak Papimantu at home and then have to go to school and then take exams in a completely different language. And probably there are plenty of kids who can probably navigate that. But for the ones who have trouble, I think it might be very easy for them to get left behind because you know, like you said, you have, you have these teachers who are able to, to make these multiple translations for them. But for the kids that that's not enough for, um, I'm just being very maternal right now and I'm worrying about this hypothetical children. <laughs> no, it's a valid question. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. I mean, it's a, it's a valid question and it's a question that persists down here actually. Um, because I remember, like I said, so the way that languages work down here, it's interesting, right? So for most people, they translanguage a lot. They don't speak completely papimento. They'll go into Spanish, they'll go into English. And then for those who know Dutch, who speak Dutch at home, they'll go into Dutch as well. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're mixing the languages consistently. That's always been the case down here. Yeah. Um, with papimento being like the most spoken out of all these mixings, right? Mm -hmm. um but when it comes to dutch because dutch has a very specific history compared to english and spanish you know with english and spanish it came the language came for the most part in in recent historical the recent historical canon it came mostly through media right it came through movies it came through music you know kids are listening to salsa merengue reggaeton in spanish they're listening to hip-hop and rock or whatever in english they're watching American movies, you know, they're, right. they're watching American television. So for them, these languages, you know, are a little, especially English is a lot easier. Whereas Dutch, they're not really, even though we have Dutch television stations here, they're not really listening or they're not really watching it, you yeah. know? So for a lot of kids, their introduction to Dutch is mostly through school mm. and I remember when I, I was sitting in the Starbucks one day doing some work and there were a couple of college students, you know, who went to the local college in Curacao. They were sitting next to me and they were talking about school and something. And, you know, I asked them like, hey, can I interview guys? you guys? I'm doing my research on blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, sure. And I remember, I mean, they all came from different types of high schools because that's the thing here too, is that we have different tiers of high school. You have the lower level, a mid-level and a high level okay you know and based on you have to take sort of an exam at the end of like your elementary school if i'm not mistaken and the exam for the most part is in dutch um and that determines where you get placed right in these in these different tiers of high school so you could be very smart but if you don't know dutch like that you know exactly you're getting placed in a lower level Exactly. And I remember a lot of them were like, well, yeah, for most of us, we had to take Bayless before we went to secondary school. And I was like, what's Bayless? And they were like, oh, it's like tutoring, basically. And I was like, so what do you mean you have to take tutoring? And they're like, well, we take tutoring 
in Dutch in order to up our Dutch level for it to be, for us to be able to go to school, secondary school, for us to be able to go to high school, we have to take tutoring lessons in Dutch. Yeah. And I remember one of the kids, I, so I asked him, I was like, so everybody in your class is taking Dutch tutoring lessons? And they immediately like, yeah, everybody in our class. And then one stopped and was like, well, most of us, I mean, the ones who can, the parents can afford to take, give their kids Dutch tutoring lessons. Mm. You know, and that's the thing that stuck out to me was this idea of like, this is so common, you know, like we, that's not common in the U.S. for you to take English tutoring lessons to be able to just understand high school, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But here, that's, that's the norm. Like, oh yeah, we all have to go take Dutch tutoring you know, and then if your parents can afford, cannot afford Dutch tutoring, then, oh, well, you know, good luck yeah. <laughs> once you get to secondary school. And, you know, I think for the most part, that's what it is for, for many of these kids where they're just like, and even with the tutoring, for example, as I mentioned, there's, there's still, they, they can understand, they can speak Dutch to you, but there's a certain level of comprehension mm-hmm. that is not happening. Exactly. For a lot of these kids. Yeah. And that's the kids who have Dutch tutoring. So the kids who don't have Dutch tutoring, who knows? <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. I was wondering about kids um, in Aruba and Curacao who, you know, Dutch is their, their language of instruction. Um, but how, you know, and, and they also do speak English and Spanish too. But is there any type of like, gravitation toward one or the other language that will help them to communicate with the wider world? Yes, um, and that's English. When I speak to teachers, they say, oh, the kids find it the cool language to speak. (laughs) And, you know, I remember when I was doing some interviews for my dissertation, um, when I, I would ask them, you know, at the end of the interviews, what do you think about Papimento? What do you think about Dutch? What do you think about English? What do you think about Spanish? You know, the four main languages that are on the island. And what was interesting to me, first of all, for Spanish, they were apathetic towards it. Hmm. They didn't have really any other opinion about it. And these are kids, you know, they're 14, 15. And a lot of them were like, well, you know, it's an old language. It's the language of my parents. And I found that so interesting because I'm like, why is it the language of your parents? And they're like, oh, well, you know, because they grew up on telenovelas and they grew up listening more to like salsa merengue and, you know, Spanish uh, language music. So that's the language that they found cool. Mm. And I was like, oh, well, and I'm thinking in my head, oh, that actually kind of makes sense because the TV channels that they used to get before we got more American channels came from Venezuela. So you know, my parents' generation and even my generation a little bit, we're sort of on the cusp. You had a huge access to Spanish language programs, Spanish language music. So these kids who are 14 and 15, it's so funny to me that they see this language as like antiquated, you know? Spanish is an old language to them because they're (laughs) like, oh, that's what my parents speak. That's what my older cousins, you know? I don't they're like I don't really care it's nice to know it but it's not like a language where I'm like oh yes this is great uh Mm -hmm. Dutch for them for the most part because you know it comes from school a lot of them are just like I don't really care about that language I Mm -hmm. don't like it it's something we have to learn in but you know I mean you know and that was the thing that they always say it's like it's great to learn these languages but it doesn't mean that I really like it or care for it Mm -hmm. you know yeah um 
with Papiamento, which I also found interesting, these younger kids, again, that they, they likened Papiamento much to their culture. So they were like, yeah, I think it's good if we learn how to speak Papiamento properly in school. And if we learn about it, you know, it's, it's a part of our culture. It's a part of who we are. So we should know it. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to English, this is where a lot of them, oh, English is so cool. So like, I want to go to the States and, and, you know, once they found out that I was from New York, oh my God, you're from New York. So like, you, you know, they go into the whole, so, you know, Jay-Z, you know, um, Kanye, you know, and I'm like, I know none of these people. Right. You know? <laughs> um, but for them, this idea of English was their access to the outer world, mm. you know? Right. So for a lot of them, it was just like, yeah, Papimento is great because this is our language. You know, we should learn how to speak it. But English was like the holy grail, you know, that was, that's what's going to get me to, because a lot of them don't even want to go to the Netherlands to go study. A lot of them want to go to the U.S. Mm. You know, they, a lot of them want to go to universities in the U.S. You know, I think for a lot of them, they just sort of see this ideal image of the United States. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, this is cool. I want to, I, you know, and when you hear them speak English, for example, like even the young, young kids I'm talking about as young as five years old, they're not speaking English with an accent the way that like my generation or my parents' generation would speak English. You know what I mean? Really? They speak, they sound like TikTokers and YouTubers, oh, you know, wow. because of the fact that they're so engrossed in that, that is what they're picking up. And I mean, it was so funny because even in my research, what I would do is I would give, um, I would video record in the classrooms to see how language takes place in the classrooms. Mm -hmm. And then I would give them GoPros um, during their lunch break for them to record themselves. Cause I'm like, it will be weird as a 34 year old that I'm running around behind them with a camera, you know, I was like, I'll let them record whatever they want to record. And then when I was watching back a lot of the, a lot of the data that they recorded a lot of the videos because i'm like you can record whatever you want you can say whatever you want don't worry like none of this is going to be public you know Mm -hmm. um and what was so interesting to me is the way that they signified how these recordings would go so a lot of them would be like hey welcome to my youtube channel this is so and so and today we're going to talk about this remember to subscribe see you guys next time and like it's all in english you know they weren't even speaking like the times that I would see them speaking Papiamento on these videos of when they're recording themselves is when they would say something to a friend right quick. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, when they're talking to the camera, they're directing it in English. And I think, you know, this is something that when I finish my dissertation, I kind of want to see how that works, not just in Aruba and Curacao, but in other places yeah. outside of the United States. Because I'm like, I find fascinating this era of YouTube, of TikTok. You know, I mean, Facebook is old for these kids now. We're yeah. the old ones on Facebook. <laughs> um, Instagram is all on that cusp. You know, I know Instagram is two seconds away from being old. Yeah. But, you know, TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube that impact that's having on these young kids and how they're learning English. Because even a friend of mine who does research in Vietnam, he was saying too, when he had gave a camera to a little kid who was like five mm-hmm. and he, this kid even goes in English, subscri- remember to like and subscribe to my channel. Wow. You know? <laughs> so it's like, you know, how, how languages are 
like their languages are interesting, but how English is being marketed to them in a way, and it's not even being marketed in a way, it's just them watching some YouTuber who's from the US, you know, where they're like, okay, yeah, this YouTuber is saying like and subscribe, this YouTuber is saying welcome to my channel. I'm just listening as you're talking, and I I really do think it's interesting the way that English is consumed um, all over the world, and I think about when when I was a kid, how it was so rare to hear other languages in various contexts. Mm. I think if I was lucky, I got to see a foreign language film, an international film, but these kids have so many resources. So um, many resources. And they don't, they don't have to work, they don't have to put in a lot of extra work to, to really make progress with other languages. And, mm. um, you know, like you said, how how does a language like Papiamentu survive? And I guess towards the next generation, to so these kids now, like their kids, um, I hope that they're going to be preserving it for them and and preserving it in a way that is is tangible for yeah. for their kids. I want to ask you, in your opinion, um, what do you think makes Papiamentu unique? Um, unique perhaps in the larger Caribbean context or within the context of Creole languages? Um, in my personal opinion, I think it's the cadence of it. Um, and when I mean cadence, it's the way that it's spoken. I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm biased, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in this. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, one of the few are the only Creole languages that are, that's tonal. For example, so, you know, if I say um, mata versus mata, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of words that we have that is depending on the tone that you use it, the, the, where you put the accent huh. um, is really, it can mean something completely different. Okay. Like my favorite that I like to put when I when I talk about tonal shifts and changes is this one word that I'm gonna say in three different ways. Dollar, dollar, and dollar. Mm. And it's like one means dick, one means U.S. American dollar, and one means pain. Huh. And it's like, well. I mean, I'm saying it slowly so you can maybe, you know, you can hear the differences, but when somebody is just speaking, you know, if you don't know Papimentu that well, you don't know how the accents work. You're just like, you know, you could be saying something like, instead of saying, I have pain, you can be saying, I have a dick, you know? Like, right, right. <laughs> you it know? can create a very embarrassing situation. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's a very... Um, it's a very, you know, and I just think as well, it's the way that it's spoken, it's the way that people laugh in this language. And I'm, I'm pretty sure in other Creole languages, people feel the same way. But for me, there's, there's a specialness to it. Like I, like I said, I grew up speaking both English and Papimento, you know, and I feel like a different person when I'm speaking Papimento. And even when I'm speaking to an Aruban person versus when I'm speaking to a Kurosawian person. Really? You know, there's even differences in that. Um, 
because it's the cadence in the way that is spoken it's the laughter it's the jokes it's the stories that are that are said in this language that you know it doesn't translate well into english yeah you know like for example we have this one word uh that's one of the most common words or the most common word in papimento and it's also like the the typical word that they like to teach tourists first is this word dushi right but there's dushi? no dushi, dushi. Yes. Uh -huh. d-u-s-h-i uh -huh. um but as far as i can tell there's no equivalent word in english oh. to the word but it's a, it describes like douchey describes anything that's good so like it's like the word john for you know uh philadelphians philadelphia right so john yeah. describes any it can be a place you know <laughs> it could be anything but douchey describes anything that's good so for example i can sit here and say this conversation is douchey mm -hmm. you know um my food is douchey that guy over there is douchey uh -huh. you know so it's anything that's just like, you know, I'm having a douchey vibe with you right now. Yeah. You know, like anything that's just good, that's douchey. Is there an opposite catch-all phrase for things that are negative? Not that I can think off off the top of my head. Okay. I mean, there's just a lot of colorful language for yeah. that, but <laughs> not just one particular word. Yeah. No, no. that's really cool. I love that. Yeah. Like, um, a few people I've I've spoken to around the world, their their languages have this kind of catch-all phrase, like John, like you know, yeah. something just kind of describes everything. I know you said a lot of things don't really translate um exactly from papiamentu but is there any literature poetry music etc um for people who want to hear the language in an organic context um that you can recommend oh yeah um music wise i would say um i'm really liking jayon he's an aruban artist um he has a couple of songs in Papiamento. Uh, he's leaning more towards Spanish language now because he's trying to like promote to a wider audience, mm. but he still uses the Papiamento in, in his songs, which I really like. Cool. But he has uh, definitely a couple of like Papiamento songs that I would say he's more of a current artist. Let's put it like that. Okay. Um, Jayon, there's also, <laughs> there's this rapper named Dongo. Mm -hmm. who's from curacao who i really love his music because i find it hilarious because when he raps he raps he sounds like he's talking when he's rapping mm -hmm. and then he also raps about the most ridiculous things <laughs> so if you really want to hear papimento in its most organic funny sense like i mean obviously if you don't speak papimento you're not going to understand what he's saying but right. like his songs are the epitome of like if you want to hear papiamento in its truest like fun idea of what papiamento can be mm -hmm. he's the guy for it and as well as jayon because jayon what jayon does is he does a lot of um like we call double sympathy is uh double meaning 
Okay. Yes, so, yes. like, he he and this other guy, Atanito, they used to make a lot of songs that would have double meaning and how they would use Pacimento as double meaning. So, um, like, for example, sorry, I'm going to have to curse again. Um, <laughs> this wasn't their original song, but then they created it their own. Um, mm-hmm. They had a song called Tim Fu, and they're like, oh, I have this friend who's called Tim Fu. Um, I can't find Timpu. Do you know where Timpu is? And then when, so when you're saying, um, when you say, where is Timpu? In Papimentu, they go, unde Timpu ta? You know, so if you know Spanish, you know what puta means. Oh. You know, so they're like, unde Timpu ta? So like, where are the, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's what I find. I, I love that about our language. Whereas, like, I mean, I'm pretty sure the older people are like, oh, stop cursing. But I'm just like, <laughs> it's just, it's great. Like, you know, I I love that, you know. So, it's, um, yeah, it's wordplay. And it's, I, it, the, the wordplay, it's amazing when it comes to that. Jayon and Atanito, they're like the kings when it comes to wordplay and Papimento. I found an Instagram account not long ago. Um, mm, yeah, was like words in Papimento, and I was like, "Oh, this is so cool!" And I, yes, think, yeah, like I love it. And I think it was around the time that I first reached out to you, and I love those things. And I think that it's it's really helpful. But I also I do like to ask that question because sometimes I think that YouTube videos have a different kind of context. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, reading a book by like a local celebrated author or discovering the art of a local artist or something like that, because I'm all about the everyday, you know, I, I I appreciate what people do and like, you know, 10 top 10 popimentu words you need to know, you know, like I appreciate that. (laughs) But I think like to really dive into the richness, um, of the language of the language and, and the yeah. culture which to me go hand in hand i always like to just just ask and i really i'm really big on um like caribbean literature too. oh well getting, we do have a lot yeah i've been getting yeah. a lot more into like authors and poets and stuff in the caribbean because i've been yeah. missing out my whole life like yeah i was an english major and i only read like shakespeare and you know keats and Emerson. we have so many here right right yeah <laughs> we have so many in the Caribbean and I mean yeah I didn't even get into the literature we have like and this is the one thing that I actually I'm gonna call out the stores here for that that I feel is a missed opportunity mm-hmm. is that we have a lot of local writers and especially like older writers that a lot of their works that were done in Papimento or even done in Dutch that was translated into Papimento. So you have like um, that movie Double Play. It was actually a book that was written by the linguist who started the school. Mm. Um, it's a book about these four guys who are playing dominoes, who play this one long game of dominoes uh-huh. and all of the things that are happening, you know, around them. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, it's such a fascinating book such a it's a long book but it's a very fascinating book and he originally wrote it in dutch because at the time he was like trying to get it more you know 
more out to people because I think it was written in the 60s or the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, but they had translated it to Papiamento and they translated it to English. Okay. No offense to the person who translated it to English, but not the best translation. I felt oh. like it lost a lot of its cadence. Mm. Um, I never read it in Dutch because I can't read Dutch that well. But yeah. when you read it in Papiamento, it really comes out, mm -hmm. you know. And then you have um, somebody like Ellis Juliana, who, you know, these men, they passed away. Um, or um, uh, what is this woman's name? Um, Nidia Ekuri, you know, they, they wrote poems, they wrote short stories in Papiamento. Mm -hmm. And what I say is the reason why I'm calling out people here for that is because they're not easily available like you can't find them online that well i mean yeah. if you search you might be able to get something from ellis juliana and that's like if you go into maybe like a university library database you know yeah uh you might be able to find it but it's not readily available online and i think that's a disservice to our you know we have our friends fanons we have you know our our um edgewich danticants here mm -hmm. Yeah. in Aruba and Curacao, but they don't get their just due because it's not available. Because the, and that, once again, goes to the stigma, right? It's the stigma of like, oh, well, they wrote in Papimento, so who's going to read it outside of these mm. islands? You know? And it's like, well, it's not about who's going to read it, but about showcasing how they were able to turn these stories into beautiful messages in a way because of the language like yeah. these yeah. these stories work because of the language that they're writing it in just because our stuff hasn't been translated into english as as much or um or they're not accessible you know mm -hmm. people don't know that they exist and yeah. we even have artists now like uh i'll say roosevelt illis who she's a poet you know and she writes in Papimento. She also writes in English as well. Her work, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like if you Google her name, you can find her stuff, you know, because mm -hmm. it's the younger artist now. And you have even somebody like Iselin Kalisir, who she's a singer from Curacao and she went to go live in the Netherlands and she sings like contemporary jazz-ish music that she blends together with local music from Curacao. Mm -hmm. And I remember when she was starting her career, people were like, well, why aren't you singing in Dutch or in English? And she's like, well, Papimento is my language, so I want to sing in Papimento. And besides, Papimento has all sorts of languages in it, so anybody can understand at least some part of it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you're right. That's true. Like, there's at least one little part that you're going to be able to understand, you know? <laughs> so she has been very good at, like, I'm going to make albums in my own language. I don't care whether you accept it or not. And, you know, she became pretty famous in the Netherlands. She's been able to come to the U.S. and give concerts in the U.S., you know, give concerts in the Netherlands and other parts of Europe. So all through speaking Papimento, you know, all through singing in that language. So they're there. You just kind of have to, you have to find it, you know. Well, I'm gonna I'm oh. gonna do some research on my end, and I will put um, links to whatever I find in the show awesome. for this episode, so that people can hear um, for themselves. They can hear for themselves what what and see for themselves what what we've been talking about.
so one thing I want to ask you about is uh, the culture of Aruba and Curacao. And particularly, I want to ask this question because I think in the U.S., well, I know in the U.S., we see the Caribbean as this tropical paradise playground. And, you know, people actually live there. So it's not just a destination for people uh -huh. when they're tired and they're, you know, sick of work or they're on their honeymoon, et cetera. And all those things are fine, nothing against them. But what I want to ask you is what are some things that you would want people to know about Aruba and Curacao that they may not necessarily be aware of? Hmm. Um, I think the main thing that I want people to know is, like you said, that we have a culture here. Um, we have a language that is our own. Um, that's not some weird form of Spanish. It's a, its own language. Um, and we are human, just like you are. You know, we are, we are people that, has our, that have our own culture, has, we have our own wants and needs um, down here. And that it's a unique culture. You know, I think for a lot of people, they tend to look at the Caribbean as sort of one big mosh posh mm -hmm. of culture. That's some weird blend between Jamaica and like Puerto Rico. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be real. You know, I think a lot of people think that's what we are. You either have to be like Jamaican or Puerto Rican. That's it. Like the rest of us don't exist down here. Right, right. Um, but, you know, we have a unique culture that's our own. We have our own language. We have our own music. Um, we have our own style. Mm -hmm. You know, we have our own way of communicating with you. And even though it might not be as outwardly present, mm -hmm. you know, especially in tourism areas, because we want you to have a good time, doesn't yeah. mean that it doesn't exist. Yeah. So... I well think, said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always very conscious of that because, um, you know, I've said this uh, in other episodes, like, you know, people talk about going on vacation and they stay on the resort the whole time. Yeah. And it, it, I don't want to get too much. <laughs> into That's the a weeds, whole other. Yeah. yeah I can yeah. talk for another two hours about that. But. Well, you know what? You're going to have to come back because we have so much more to talk about and there's so much more that like, I want to ask you and I didn't even get a chance to, but um, I know that you're working really hard toward your PhD and you're doing your research and you're finishing up. So maybe whenever you have time again, I would be more than happy to welcome you back as my guest and we can discuss all the things that we missed this time um, that'll be awesome <laughs> I, I totally would be down yeah um the last question that i ask in, ep in every episode um is the same question do you have any jokes swear words tongue twisters cool slang words idioms words of wisdom or advice in Papiamentu to share? Oh my gosh. And you um, have to of teach course, I know. Too. <laughs> I know, of course, all of the bad things are coming up first. Um, um, advice? 
that I don't that like you'll have to ask an older person that because I have all the advice you know <laughs> like um oh there is one that I've always remembered um that they said they have this phrase that they say um salty purata sali salu so um a soup that is quickly made comes out salty Ooh. which you know basically means like take your time with things don't right. because you know you're putting in that's so caribbean right because we love our seasonings and yeah. it's like yeah if you do it quickly like you're gonna over season it you know <laughs> <laughs> so yeah salty purata sali salu um wait can i try it yeah yeah go ahead it, you have to say it slow and i'll repeat after you okay uh salty pura salty pura Dasali. Dasali. Salu. Salu. Yeah. Oh. Salty pura. Salty pura. Uh, a soup that is quickly made. Dasali. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes out. Salu. Salty. Salty. Salu. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's a, yeah, that's definitely one. Um, uh, I know I'm going to get so much flack from my mother, but I love saying this um when people like to curse here (laughs) you know one of the best like curse comebacks that i absolutely love i think because for me it's just so different from what you hear in the u.s Mm -hmm. is they'll say like the worst worst one is biting or the less worst one is biting so tonto means vagina. So they're literally saying, go back in your mother's vagina. Oh my God. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is just like, like, I'll, like that is just the epic burn, you know, for me that I'm like, and it, it sounds so like, all right in English, but in Papimento, that's just like, oof. Yeah. Oh. Especially so. with the intonation, it sounds yeah. like, like a it sounds hard yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like if you're saying it and go back in your mother's vagina you're like oh, okay cool you know <laughs> so, but it's just I just I love that phrase and I know my mother's probably going to be like really Keisha that's that's what you had to portray of our language is that you know <laughs> So, well, you gave some good advice before yeah. that, so I think she'll. Yeah, she'll I, I I balanced it. I balanced yeah, it. It was a good balance. Yeah, <laughs> and just remember, douchey. Douchey is anything. Douchey. Anything that's good, just yeah. douchey. Awesome. I love so, it. Well, yeah. thank you so much for talking with me today, and this was a really lovely conversation. And thank I, you for having me on. Absolutely. I learned so much from you and so much about not just Papiamentu, but about Creole languages and about the perception of language um, in the world and in, in different parts of the world. So thank you so much for, for opening my mind. And I have so much research and reading to do after this. Um, can you tell us where anyone who's listening, if they want to reach out to you, if anyone wants to uh, to reach out to you, maybe talk about Poppy Mentor a little bit. Where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter um, at Brilianchi Anthro, which uh, Brilianchi is the so for our Portuguese listeners, Brilianchi you would know that, mm-hmm. um, but it's spelled B R I L H A N T E. 
Um, it means brilliant in Portuguese and an anthro as an anthropology. So brilhante anthro, or I don't know, I guess if you Google my name, Keisha Wheel, you can also find that. <laughs> um, um, I'm available Facebook, Instagram, all the medias. Um, and then if you want to be a little bit more formal, which, you know, your prerogative, I'm on LinkedIn. And you can also email me at keisha.wheel at gmail.com. Fantastic. Perfect. Thank you so much again for your time. And I want to ask you one final, final, final question. All right. (laughs) In Papi Manchu, what would be the best way in this situation to say goodbye? Um... Let's see, you'll say Temas aweroku dioske. So you will say till much later, God willing. Oh, temas. Temas awero. So that's Aweru. till much later. Okay. Um kudioske if God wants. Kudioske. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you can also just say ayo, which means goodbye, but ayo. I like because I feel like that's a little bit more like it's not a goodbye. It's kind of like, you know, see you later if God permits. So, Temas Awero, adioke. Temas Awero, si Dios, si Dios, que. Que. Okay. Yeah. I tried. I tried. It was, it was, trust, it was better than some people. So. Thank you so much again, and I'll be talking to you soon. Yes, for sure. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye.